From Share Cancer Support, this is Our MBC Life, a podcast dedicated to exploring life with metastatic breast cancer from the perspective of us, the people living with this disease, and the experts who partner with us to help make our lives better. I'm Lisa Laudico. Welcome. So glad you're here, since no one should face MBC alone. Our NBC Live podcast is for the NBC community, developed by people living with NBC in an effort to lift up marginalized voices, share stories, and experiences. Today, as we are at the beginning of Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we bring you two incredible advocates, Catherine O'Brien and Ricky Fairley, in two separate podcasts released on the same day. It's another double episode release at the beginning of a month that can be tough for those of us living with NBC, and that seemed about right. This interview was originally scheduled to be hosted by Shante Randall. She is one of the indomitable co-hosts that we have, and she impresses all of us with her ability to do 100 things in one day with a smile and enough energy to light up our whole team. But this is a podcast about living with NBC, and NBC is not pretty or all rainbows and unicorns. Our pain and side effects from treatments that we need to continue to take just to stay alive can stop us in our tracks and severely impact our ability to live fully at times. This is exactly what happened to Shante over the past couple of weeks and we are, as we were preparing, this is exactly what happened to Shante over the past couple of weeks as we were preparing for this interview. Shante allowed me to be transparent with all of you about the pain and nausea that she experienced, so much so that she had to cancel hosting this interview, which is something she never, ever wanted to do. She is doing so much better now, thank goodness, but we all wanted you to know the real deal, and we will always be honest with you. We don't have time for that, and neither do you. This October, we want to remember those who have died from metastatic breast cancer this past year. In our Just Gotta Share episode at the end of this month, we are creating space to remember. Please send us the names of the people that you would like to remember. You can email us their names or you can send us a short voice remembrance to rmbclife at sharecancersupport.org. Okay, let's get on with the show. Last week, I spoke with Ricky Fairley, founder of Touch Black Breast Cancer Alliance, who is one of those incredible early-stage advocates working so hard to make a difference for black breast cancer. Ricky is a stage 3A triple-negative breast cancer survivor, thriver, and her personal purpose, passion, mission, ministry, and blessing is to raise awareness, fundraise for a cure for breast cancer, and support and coach what she calls her breasty sisters through their breast cancer experience. To do this, Ricky recently founded Touch, the Black Breast Cancer Alliance, to address reducing the mortality rate for black women. She also founded the innovative weekly live web series, The Doctor Is In, on the blackdoctor.org Facebook page and serves as its co-host. She is a founding member of hashtag Black Data Matters in partnership with Citizen to encourage and elevate the importance of black women participating in clinical trial research. She serves on the board of trustees for the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, where she spearheads the marketing committee and directs multicultural outreach. 
She is a board member for the Center for Healthcare Innovation, a nonprofit research and educational institute making healthcare more equitable. She also serves as an ambassador and advisor for the Live Humanly campaign and works with companies to provide the patient advocate voice for breast cancer drug development. She serves on the National Accreditation Program for Breast Centers, the NAPBC, in the Advocacy and Outreach Committee, and the CDC Advisory Committee on Breast Cancer in Young Women. She writes regularly for blackdoctor.org, Black Health Matters, the Cincinnati Herald, and the Black Press. Ricky, with her mom, two daughters, and granddaughter, are the poster family for the Komen three-day, 60-mile walk advertising campaign. They walk 60 miles annually in San Diego. Welcome to RMBC Life. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So excited to be here. Thank you. So we'll start off by just acknowledging that it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and it's especially important to focus on black breast cancer during this month. And it's also important to lift up the early stage allies that are working hard to address the issues in the metastatic breast cancer community. So we thank you for all of the work that you've been doing. And I can't wait to dig in into all the details of how you're making so much change happen so fast. So, but first, I think we'll start from the beginning. So tell us about your life before breast cancer and when and how you were diagnosed with stage three, 3A triple negative breast cancer. Sure, I was your typical super mom, super woman, save the world, you know, never put the mask on myself first. I was actually the breadwinner for my family and um, my husband, my husband didn't work. My husband of 30 years and I was the rainmaker for my company. I, I was a partner in an advertising agency in Atlanta and I kind of was taking care of everybody, right? I have two daughters. Um, at the time I got sick, they were 19 and 26. My younger daughter was a sophomore at Dartmouth and my older daughter was actually working in the Obama White House. Very busy. She had worked for Obama since her sophomore year of college in a Senate office and then in the White House. Um, um, and so I, but I was doing everything, you know, I was on, I think the year I got sick, I actually had flown 100,000 miles by the time I got sick in, October, in September. So it was all over the place, working like a dog, crazy, taking care of everybody, right? Like we all do. We're all super moms, super women, right? Helicopter moms, the whole drill. So I, you know, and, and, and I had put off my, di- my checkup which I'm pretty good about. My mom had had stage zero breast cancer 10 years before me. So she was always on our case to get a mammogram. And I put off my checkup for a month because my baby daughter Haley was in China for the summer. And I was just so busy. I said, just wait till she comes home. We'll go together and you know, knock two birds out with one stone and we'll just I'll wait for her. And thank God I did. If had I gone earlier, my triple negative was so aggressive, I'd probably be dead. So it would, they wouldn't have found it for another year. So, if you know, or whenever. Right. And so, so um, I went for my annual checkup with my daughter and they found a lump. It was a, like a little peanut under my nipple. You, you know, you sort of get into that whirlwind of craziness. Right. But, but literally I was, um, I took, I, Haley came home for a week. We did all the, the dentist, the doctor, all the checkups, all the stuff, got on a plane to New Hampshire to take her back to Dartmouth. And then I had my biopsy the day before we left. And as I was leaving Hanover, to go to on a two-week business trip to the West Coast, my doc called as I was going through security and said, yes, Ricky, you do have breast cancer. And I literally got on a plane to San Francisco from Boston. 
And um, I sat on the plane thinking like, is this for real? Like, what does that really mean? Can't be that bad, whatever, you know, it's a little thing. And I, and, and I started feeling my chest to see if I could find it. And I felt it for myself. I hadn't really, really paid attention to it. And so um, I got to California. I was there for about three days. I had this two week trip plan. Like every day was like a speech or something, you know, our client meeting after three days, my doc called back and well, Rick, you not only have breast cancer, but you have triple negative breast cancer. You need to come home. And I said, well, triple negative, like that doesn't sound so bad, right? Triple negative. What does that mean? It doesn't sound so bad. And I started Googling. There were like three things on Google at the time. And all of them said, you're going to die. You know, bad prognosis, the highest mortality rate, all the bad stuff. This was, you know, seven years ago. I mean, really nine years ago, right? Ten years ago. So I, you know, reluctantly got on a plane, went home and started dealing, right? What are you going to do? Wow, that is a story, I tell you. And I'm pleased that you've had, uh, you know, sustained and robust, you know, stable, like no recurrence at this point, because I know- Well, actually, I did, I did have a recurrence. Oh, so. you did? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, tell yeah, us more yeah. about that. So, you know, I had a double mastectomy by choice. I did six rounds of chemo, TAC. I did six weeks of radiation. And then almost a year to the day of my diagnosis, they found five spots on my chest wall. And so my doc called me in and said, um, I was actually, I was going to do the Komen three day the next day. She called me in and said, you know, um, come in. There's something I have to talk to you about. So she said, you know, you probably have two years. You're metastatic. You need to get your affairs in order. And I said, no, no, you don't understand. I have a kid in college. I have to pay for Dartmouth. I, you know, my, my husband doesn't work. Like we have to work something out, me, you and God, because this can't happen. And she said, well, I want you to start chemo tomorrow. And I said, I can't start chemo tomorrow. I'm about to walk 60 miles and I need to walk. I ended up going in whatever, three days later, but I went back on for more rounds. And by now I hadn't replaced, had put my tissue expanders were still in my body from surgery and I hadn't taken them out. So I ended up going to have surgery to put my implants in. And when they went into it, it was gone. We don't really know what happened. So God intervened and I'm still here. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. And so I celebrated nine years last week. That is terrific. So they still staged you at 3A and, and yeah. left it at that, which is, yeah. which, is, which is great. Right, right. So I'm good. I'm so good. And I'm happy, healthy, and terrific. But, but I also totally changed my life. I totally quit my life and started a new one, all on chemo. So I divorced my husband of 30 years. I quit my business partners. I started my own company between my second and third rounds of chemo. I sold my big house in Alfreda, Georgia in the suburbs with, you know, three acres and a pool and the whole deal and moved to a little one bedroom condo on the beach. So all in a year, right? And my family kept saying, are you sure you're okay? Like, you know, you're making a lot of decisions. You may have chemo. But I was like, no, you don't understand. I have to choose life. And I realized I had to choose life in everything I did and every decision that I made. And I did. And, and it was the opposite of the person I had been in terms of taking care of everybody. I had to focus on myself. And I realized I could only take care of Haley and I. And everybody else would have to stay on the sideline. So, so I did a lot of crazy things. I wouldn't recommend it in that time frame, but while you're on chemo, but, but I did it. I also, my first client was actually Obama. And I made all the radio ads for the second Obama campaign during that time. Fantastic. So it was a crazy, crazy time. Right. And so do you still have your business that you started during chemo? So I do, but I recently, I recently founded Touch, the Black Breast Cancer Alliance. 
So I'm kind of winding down some of my marketing work and I do a lot of health related work, only health related work now, but I started touch in late June and I'm really trying to focus and, and kind of transform my marketing strengths and marketing experience into advocacy. And I've been doing advocacy since I was sick. You know, I've been on the board of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation since I was sick. I found them as a home and they've been, they held my hand through treatment and everything. And so I've really worked with them. I was the first survivor on the board, but now I've really tried to focus my energy on attacking black breast cancer, which is a different disease. Yep. Well, I want to ask you about that. So we know it's a different disease. We know the statistics are appalling and we, I think it's going to take more than just a village to make a change, but right. I know that having touch and starting touch uh, breast cancer, black breast cancer Alliance is a, is a, is a, is a really important step in that direction. So tell us more about that, about touch, about the founding of it. You said it started in June. So we are like, what is it? Four months in and you've already made a huge impact clearly. So tell us more about, about the founding of it and how it's structured and what you're trying to accomplish with it. Sure, 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 sure. I've been doing a lot of advocacy, as I said, for other organizations. I really felt like even though there's so many you know, people in our space, you know, breast cancer has more advocacy groups than any other disease. So to start another organization, is that really a smart thing to do, especially during a pandemic? Well, I think the pandemic actually motivated me because now health disparities are on the table. They're a discussion. Hello, right? So I thought the timing was good. And then I also feel like even though everybody that works in our space can go home at night, pat themselves on the back and say, I did a good thing today. I drove somebody to chemo. I gave somebody a hug. I, I found a new drug. I did some science, whatever, right? We can all do that. But yet black women are still dying at a 42% higher rate. And I kind of look at that, that quote, um, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, getting the same bad results. So what are we doing wrong? What, and I don't want to, I don't want to um, downplay any of the work that we're all doing because it's all great work and we're all, doing great things every day. But I feel like we have to solve this problem and we can only do it together. So my purpose and why I called it an alliance is to bring us together towards working towards a common goal of eradicating black breast cancer. I can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. Pharma can't do it alone. A scientist can't do it alone. But I feel like together we can do it. We can tackle it. And you know, 20 years ago, the AIDS community went after pharma with a vengeance, right? They went to Congress, they rallied and, and they came together as a, as a community and said, help us solve this problem. And guess what? Magic Johnson is still alive and, and people are not dying from AIDS anymore. It's a chronic disease. And now it's like, you know, you don't even know you have it, right? You have it and you're undetectable or whatever the words are. So why can't we put the same energy into black breast cancer? You know, why can't we figure it out? And I really believe that there are a lot of psychosocial factors why black women are different. You know, we are the de social determinants of health, equal sign, right? But I believe we're physiologically different, that our bodies are different, that something has not been identified yet. You know, we all know about BRCA. I don't have BRCA and triple neg negative is very associated with it, but, but there could be something in my genetic makeup because I'm a black woman that makes me different. And we just haven't figured it out yet. And there are a lot of doctors and that are close to it. I mean, I talked to Melissa Davis last week and Lisa Newman, and, and they're getting close to some genetic, you know, nuances that could make us different, but that work needs to be done. And it needs to be done quickly. Like I want pharma to give me the drug bottle that, that says 
this drug was made for black women. That's what I want. And so, so I really need all, all of our ecosystem to focus on it and put the energy around it to make it happen. So that's why I did what I did. And I love this whole story. And I also like that you asked the question, what will I be doing differently? What am I bringing to the table? And that there are a lot of really great organizations out there, but that there is nothing in this particular area of need of creating this alliance of all these different entities focused on this one goal. So that's terrific. One of the things that we thought about on the podcast was, you know, there's everyone's doing a podcast. It's the pandemic, you know, what right, you're right. going to do sourdough, make some sourdough bread and start a podcast or whatever. Right, 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 right. And so I'm a really, uh, I think one of my um, Achilles heels or a trigger for me is reinvention of the wheel, especially for those, for those of us in the breast cancer community. We don't have time for that. We right. don't have the we money don't. for that. We don't. And, and I'm not going to be part of that. I'm going to make sure that whatever I choose to focus my time on as a metastatic breast cancer patient, I'm helping others in a way that makes sense and is not going to waste anybody's time. And it's not, and someone else is not already doing it. So that's why we've done our podcast the way we've done it is that it's, oh, it's for metastatic breast cancer patients by metastatic breast cancer patients. Yes. The entire thing is just, just, and we have content and creative control and everything. And so everyone involved in our little, our little podcast here, and we started around the same time that you started, but uh, we launched on July 27th. But any, in any case, I totally love what you're doing. And I think that it's clearly has resonated with every corner of the community. Right. And I, I think that another area where I, I get triggered or I, I really feel strongly is that it has to be actionable, right? We have to take, we have to have people accountable. Yes. We, have to, we have to be clear about our vision, but yes. let's make sure that whoever's joining or coming into the boat with us, that we all have our roles, we know what we're doing and we are accountable for it. Because again, we don't have time for that. We don't have time. We don't, have time. We don't, we have, don't time. have time for nonsense. And people right. are dying. And, and I love that you raise the comparison with the AIDS crisis and with the, um, and with the activism around it. It took so many different types of styles of voices of types of activism yes. to yes. make it work. Yes. And, and that's what makes me excited about now in our community that we have multiple voices and, with generosity, we see the strengths in all these different approaches. Right, right. But let's, but let's make let's, sure that we're all talking together. Yeah, exactly. Let's channel it. Let's bring it yes. together. Because also, when we're together, we feed off of each other, and more and better ideas come out. You know, and and um, and that's one of the. I'll tell you two projects that I'm working on that kind of are working. So one of them is I started this this web series on BlackDoctor.org's Facebook page. And, um, and we started in April, you know, actually, I was talking to Dr. Gary, who's my co-host, um, out of the blue on a weekend, you know, we should talk, people keep calling me like, should I get my mammo? Should I go to treatment? And a lot, there's a lot of fear out there. So we should just talk about it on Facebook. Let's do a Zoom. So we did. And we had 800 views on my Facebook page, which was like, we're like well, maybe there's something to this. So we sent it to blackdoctor.org and I'm like, wow, this is great. So now we've been getting like 30,000 views on our, our weekly show. We're going to do it twice a week in October, Sundays at three and Wednesdays at six. And what we're finding is that there's a hunger and it's not scientific. I mean, Monique is a brilliant doctor and she brings the science. We often bring doctors, but they want, they want girl talk. They want breasty talk. 
They want to hear, well, Ricky, what do you think about that? Or Breasty, what do you think? of So the doctor said X, Y, Z, and the science is X, Y, Z, but how does it make you feel? And what was your experience with it? And so it's kind of this real girlfriend sitting in my house talk that's, that people want to talk about this stuff. And they want to talk about, we talk about everything from, you know, issues to sex, relationships, whatever, you know, chemo, everything. So there's a real need for that, real need for that. So, and I'm, and I'm hoping that everybody from every organization comes on our show. You know, we're, we're doing shows with everybody. So the other thing too, is that, you know, I was talking to the breasties, you know, the breasties, I do. I do. They are rock stars. So I was talking to them one day and I, and we sort of came up with this idea to do this walk. So we started talking about black Friday, like who's going to, who's going to go to the mall mm. on black Friday. You're going to go to the mall. Mm. Breasties aren't going to go to the mall. And a lot of the malls have no stores anymore. Right. They're all online. Mm. So, Mm-mm. so we said, well, let's all walk. So we're going to do this virtual walk and it's called breast cancer United. And we now have 22 breast cancer organizations and about and five other uh, other kinds of organizations that are going to walk with us, including, um, you know, we've got Komen, breastcancer.org, LBBC, Metaviver, um, Anna Ono, and like, I can't even name them all. And, and the breast season for the breast of us. And then we also have like Center for Healthcare Innovation, and we have Girl Trek, Morehouse School of Medicine. Girl Trek is this group of these two black women who um, founded an organization um, about five years ago, walking the Harriet Tubman Trail. And now they have 850,000 black women walking. So they're going to do our walk. And so we got Matthew Knowles to be our grand marshal of our walk and work, but it's, it's a great United statement and it's not a fundraiser. It's not about money. It's about sisterhood, breastyhood, camaraderie and awareness. Like every breastie needs to bring a bestie. So we can talk about breast cancer in a fun environment where we just bring attention to our disease. Right. And, and I know from my fellow co-hosts on the pod that who are black women who talk about the fact that there are family members of theirs who do not want to even go for a mammogram, even though they have a beloved family member who's got breast cancer, who's got breast cancer. And, you know, I come from a long line of breast cancer survivors, actually. I'm the fourth generation, but I'm the first one to be de novo. And so we're all aware of it in our family, but the lack of awareness and knowledge around breast cancer, even though it's been in our history and everyone knows that's what happened to Aunt Lorna and that's what happened to Nana. And it's incredible how ill-informed my own family was. And so I'm no longer shocked with these stories, but I love that you are bringing accessible information in a way that is not, not scary. It's not, um, it's, it's girl talk, as you say, uh, yeah. it's, it should be kitchen table talk. It should kitchen, be kitchen exactly. table talk, right? Right. Exactly. It should be, it should be at the dinner table where everybody talks about it. It's all open. I know, you know, the, um, the ad council did a study a couple of years ago when they were helping come and do their know your girls campaign. And I'm going to, I hope I get the numbers right, but I believe it's something like 92% of black women said that they could, that they would, um, that they were aware of breast cancer. Okay. And then 27% say they talk about it. 17% actually act on it, act on the risk. So it's pretty crazy that, you know, we don't talk about it until somebody's sick and, Oh yeah, grandma Pookie had that. I need had that. And it becomes a con for conversation piece, but it really, it's just, we, we need to talk more. We need to talk. We need to make it common sense. We're also doing a program on um, um, HBCU campuses this month. And we have five 
five campuses, FAMU, Howard, um, um, North Carolina A&T, Bowie State, and Spelman. And so they're going to be posting on social media about breast cancer on their campuses, and then we're going to bring them on the show um, after they're done to talk about their what they've learned and how and but get them talking about breast health when they're in college. When when, yes. when when a young woman goes to get her first birth control pill, guess what? She needs to be talking about breast health and checking her breasts. So I want I want to instill that behavior in our grooming, you know, yes, our, as you brush your teeth, right? As you brush right, your teeth, exactly. think about your breasts. It should be something that's on their calendar. You do it every month and it should be just not even, you just do it. You just right, do it because right, it's the right exactly. thing to do. Right. I love the work that you mentioned with the HBCUs. And I also know, I think, uh, I think I, I got this right, that you're actually sponsoring internships for HBCU students. Yes. Is that yes. right? And I love that because of course yes. we earlier in our, when we launched the podcast, we had a, um, a a podcast with the three black docs, Dr. Karen Winkle, yes, yes. Zanetta Lamar and Dr. Tiffany Avery. And they are amazing. I haven't and met we, them yet. I really want to meet them. We want to have oh, them on the show. Yes. Yeah, oh, awesome. you need to have them on, your show. on your show. They yeah. are the most amazing. And I'm a, a huge fan um, as, a, as I, I talk about them all the time, but I will say that one of our discussions or one of our, you know, one of our discussions was about, you know, the lack of, you know, black doctors, black oncologists oh, yes. and, and the need for, you know, and basically that's just so critical for overall healthcare in black communities, but you need to start at the college level or you well, do. let's be clear. We need to start way earlier. Wait, than that. Kindergarten, right. kindergarten. Yeah, right, right. right. Exactly. And we need to actually have that kind of representation so that it becomes something that makes sense. Like I can I can be that. I can be a doctor. I can do that. I can be an oncologist. I can be a surgeon. Exactly. And so I love that you're doing this internship sponsorship program with HBCUs because, again, let's make one, it's two-pronged, I would say, right? You're helping with awareness, like, hey, people, you need to understand about breast cancer, really understand that and how it affects your community and how it could affect you and how you should take care of yourself, just like you said. But also, hey, this is a career path that actually is really important. It's really important and, and necessary and, and necessary. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I salute you for that too. And, and uh, we'll talk offline because of course the podcast is always is looking for interns. And so we would love to do the same. You know, we've talked a lot about how you work collaboratively. Obviously you were someone who was a leader in business and in government as well. And, 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 and you are someone who leads and collaborates and doesn't like reinventing the wheel. And I, I have to just lift up the expression that you have sometimes where you say you want to make music and not noise. Can you talk more about that? Because it just sang to me when I heard it. I'm going, oh, yeah. I like I what she's got to say. <laughs> this makes sense to me. <laughs> well, and you know, it's so funny because some people take offense to that. Because, really? Yeah, a little bit. Because I feel oh, like oh, I, I think I understand, but I want to hear what you're. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. And it's you, totally positive to me. It's like, how mm. do we take, how do we take all the strengths that we all have, and and have an orchestra, right? So right now, right. everybody's everybody's playing their instrument in their lane, right? And I'm sure. in this lane, and I'm really good at this. I'm in this lane, sure. I'm really good at this. But we need an orchestra. We don't sure. need the separate. You know, the instruments are all beautiful, and they make beautiful sound. How do you take that beautiful sound and blend it into something that makes a movement, that drives a movement, that makes an action happen, that gets a, elicits a response, right? So that clarinet can sound beautiful on its own, but when you mix it with the cello and the drums 
and the cymbals and the and the trombone or whatever you have this blend of things that get us to you know that gives you something different it's a different product a different product comes out and it's all working together for good that's one of my favorite scriptures from god you know you know let's mm. all work together it all works together for good mm. that's what i'm trying to do oh i i I really appreciate the way you articulate that. I also, I think we can acknowledge that given the disparities in healthcare for black yeah. women in breast cancer and in other areas of healthcare, it's, it's warranted to want to shout to the, you know, shout to the heavens and scream loudly and say, this is just wrong. But at the same time, it's about let's figure out how we can move things forward. And, and also in the metastatic breast cancer community, it's pretty appalling to how, how it sometimes can feel, and especially in October, it's super tough for all of us in the community. It can be really hard. But at the same time, you can, you can, be, you can have a little bit of that noise, but let's all work together because when it's music, right, just to use your, um, your beautiful expression, when you have music, then even those loud voices can be even more, can be lifted up even higher. Lifted, so, yeah, yeah. so not to negate the fact that this is, there's a bunch of things to be outraged by, but we need to also figure out how we can collaborate to make that outrage even more effective. Right. You know? Well, you know, I'll give you the example, you know, February is Black History Month. I hate Black History Month. Same thing, same, same thing. You know, like, and I don't hate it, but you know, it's ridiculous because guess what? I'm Black on the other 11 months too. Hello. Breast cancer's around for the 11 months too. So, so you're right though. We have to take it as the way that together we can make an impact during that short period of time and, you know, celebrate something or, or, or take advantage of the, the, the collective voice that we have, even though we're living with this all the time. Right. But, um, but you know, you know, it's, it's more than pink as, as you know, Combe would say, it's, it's more than pink. It's way bigger than us. And, and, but together, we can make such more of a difference together than we can individually. And we're, and we're all working really hard. You know, we're all working hard. So I want us to work smart. I want us to work smart. How do we work smart? We leverage each other's strength and bring ourselves, bring each other together to, to come together on things, you know, and, and, and I'm trying to do programs with everybody. You know, we're, I'm working on a program with LBBC. I'm working on a program with Komen, with BreastCancer.org, with, and then with a lot of the smaller organizations that I call, you know, that are that are on the ground, with feet on the ground, in the communities, touching people. And so, it's really important for us to reach everybody wherever they are, and find, you know, find this common bond that we need to move ahead and move forward. I think there's an issue sometimes where, uh, especially for the newly diagnosed, either early stage and certainly right, NBC, right, that, yeah. It is, it is overwhelming. We all remember the trauma of our diagnosis and, and you can't hear sometimes. You can't hear anything. You can't hear anything. It's all over your head. Exactly. And And so they're making it accessible somehow so that the people who really need to, to hear those words of support and, and information and science, because knowing the science and knowing what to do right from diagnosis can make a difference in your outcome can really make a difference. And you know, there's so many women who are in our choir who have some level of engagement or, or are online or can Google or whatever, mm-hmm. but there are a lot more women who are not in the choir. And those are the calls I get. You know, I get the call from the woman from Baltimore who said, I have three kids, I'm 41. I have stage three, triple, stage three, triple negative. Um, I don't know what to do. 
what do I do? Or I have this, my doctor said X, Y, Z, is should I listen to the doctor? Should I get another doctor? And they're the people who, oh yeah, I've heard of breast cancer, but I never thought I would get it. You know, no one in my family has it, so why did I get it? And so we have to help them. We have to be a resource for them because they don't know. And I know we have a great choir. I mean, the Breasty Club is not one that you want to be in, but once you're in it, it's like unconditional love and we all just embrace each other. Thank God for that. But we have to find the women who aren't in our, you know, that, that come into our club and know nothing. How can we help them? How can we give them the resources and the information they need so they can make good decisions? And I tell everybody, choose life. What do you have to do today to choose life? Yeah, I love that. So talking again about your founded two organizations already, um, but what have you learned since founding Touch? Like anything you would do differently? It's still in it. You're still building and growing it, but you know, you're, you're the type of person that probably already has some ideas about this is what I want to tweak or anyway, I just thought I would ask that question because I, yeah, I, I think the most, the most important thing I've learned is that I can live on them three hours of sleep because <laughs> there's never enough work to do. I mean, there's never enough time. There's never enough time to do everything we need to do. Like I go to sleep every night thinking, okay, what was, what, what am I going to do first thing in the morning? Right. So there's so much to do that I want to do, you know? And so it's really just, I'm just trying to figure out, um, as we go down this path and make our list of things to do, where am I going to make an impact today? You know what I mean? And so I'm trying to figure out what, you know, what, and I, I'm still struggling with what to focus on that I can really make an impact with. So I may forego something, a little project when I know that I could spend five minutes and do something really huge, or I could take the time to talk to that, to take that phone call of that breastie that really, really needs me or really needs to talk. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm under deadline to do whatever, and talk to that, that breastie. So I don't know that I've figured everything out yet. I mean, I definitely have not, but I think it's just that, that balance of how to manage all the work that I want to do and pace myself knowing that I can't do everything right now and as I would, would like to, but I have to figure out how to, you know, what's going to make a difference today. But I'm, I think in terms of the organization too, just get help. You know, like I tried to do it a lot by myself and, and one day Terry Lynn came over and said, I just quit my job. She's a nurse. She's a nurse. I don't want to work as a nurse anymore. She's a breastie. And she said, I want to do this work with you. And I said, well, come on over here. Like, stay with me. And she moved into my house almost like, you know, now I have to like push her out to go home. But, but thank God for her. I was, I had to, I did, I, you know, you how we are. We don't ask for help. And I, she's taken me so much further than I would have gotten by myself just to have help. And she'll say, you know what, we really need help with that. Like we can't do that Ricky. And so find a figure out, you know, what you're good at, what you're not good at, what you can, you know, what you can sort of buy to help you, what you can barter for, what can you get to, you know, to kind of give you what you need to get the work done, because we can't do it all. And it's funny, because I was telling everybody, I want to work with partners, but yet I was still trying to do everything myself for myself, you know, for, you know, you know how we are. So, of course, so just learning that lesson that it's okay to like, figure out, you know, where I need help. Yes, I do need an accountant that knows how to do this stuff. Yes, I do need someone to set up my ADP. So I do need someone to like, you know, do the donor thing, like all those things, like finding, like really understanding what you're good at and then what you need help with and how to make it all work. But I'm just, just curious of where you see as the biggest and largest one, the biggest nut to crack. The biggest obstacle is that we don't participate in research. We do not participate in clinical trials. Some people say 3%, some people say 5%, but it's too low. If our physiology is, is different, and I believe it is, Unless we participate in research, we're not going to get the drugs that we need with the label, with the right label, right? So, so 
the challenge is, is right now, everything that everybody is doing to get black women to clinical trials, guess what? It's not working. Hello, it's 3%. So there's a lot of effort around it. There are a lot of people working in the space. There's a lot of recruiting techniques. There's a lot of brochures. There's a lot of videos, whatever. But guess what? None of them are working right now. So how do we figure out? And I'm a marketing person. You know, I've spent my entire career convincing people to buy products they probably don't need or drink Coke when it's not really good for them or whatever. So to me, it's a messaging challenge. What are we missing? What are we not saying to her? And, and she's in her most vulnerable position in her life. So how do we make her feel empowered to be in an empowered position? How do we give her power and make her understand the importance of participating in the research and, and not only for herself, but for her community, right? So it's how do we un undress that, that emotional thing that's affecting her trust in the system to do this research. So that's what I'm working on too. I'm working on research to get to that research. And that's one of my major focal points of the work I'm doing right now. So for our listeners that are with us here on the podcast today, what do you think are three things or any number of things that would help change the statistics for black breast cancer? So there's clinical trials, participation, clearly. Um, that's clinical public trials. number one. And, and what are the other things that you think our listeners should be honing in on? Education, like what is a trial? How does it work? You know, I, I get a lot of, you know, questions about, well, I'm going to get the placebo drug. Well, there is no placebo drug. They don't really understand what standard of care is. So just education about it. And then also just educating, to me, educating pharma on how to address the issues. And I'm doing a lot of work with on around that in terms of helping them understand how to reach out to these women, how to talk to them, how to engage them. What does the system look like? So I'm going to sign you up for a trial. I'm going to take you out of your neighborhood, make you take a day off from work, put you in, a, in a, an Uber, drive you an hour to, to the white neighborhood where you see nobody that looks like you and, and stick a needle in your arm of some drug you don't know what it is. Are you kidding? You know, how does that make you feel? So, so how do, it's, it's really, there's a whole ecosystem of, that, that's involved in the, cl the clinical trial process from point A to point B. So helping educate them as well. So we have to figure out how to talk to her first. And then once we figure that out, how to share that and educate the system to be able to address what she really needs to get her there. Because until we get her there, we're not going to have the science. We're not going to have the science that we need to get the drugs that we need to do the work. So we have a long road ahead, but I feel like we got to start somewhere. And I feel like even though we're doing a lot of stuff. I mean, I get calls every day. Well, can you get me five black women to be in my trial? No, I can't, you know, because that's not, that's not going to work for me. And it's funny too, with all the COVID stuff, you have no idea how many people call me and ask me to get black people in COVID trials. And guess what? They're not doing it. So they're definitely not doing that one. But, but how do you, how do we change the paradigm on the whole clinical trial conversation with black women so we can get them to participate? So it's a big challenge, but we have to start it and we have to, accept the fact that the stuff we're doing now isn't working. I'm sorry. I love that you do this every day. You've been doing it for 20 years and I appreciate all that you do, but it's not working. And I make the analogy to, to Google, you know, um, one of my, one of my clients in my company a couple of years ago, they were talking about, well, Google needs to get more diversity that, you know, the whole tech engine, well, well, Google has 3% people of color in their company, but they're so huge 
to just to get the percentage point to go to four from three to four, they would have to hire a hundred thousand people. So how do you do that? Right? So it's almost the same. I don't want to say it's, I hope it's not that big of a challenge, but if you think about what we're, we're trying to move a mountain, but we have to do it with a lot of people and a lot of help and together, it has to be a collective effort, but people have to admit that, yeah, you know, maybe we're not doing it right. My favorite quote is Albert Einstein, a problem cannot be solved within which the framework it was created. And unless we flip it over, turn it upside down, jump into up and down on it, throw it out the window, whatever, yeah. we're not going to change. We got to do something different. So that's what I'm about. Oh, I love it. So what are your goals for the next year? Like here you are, you're like just barely launched, but you're already here. You're making a big difference already. So what are your goals for the next year? I really want to um, fund research on this black woman. I want to get pharma support to, to understand her and change how we talk about trials. So that's my major goal. And I also want to, I want to create a framework for Alliance. I want people to hold hands. I want our ecosystem to hold, to come together the whole, which is why why I want to do Breast Cancer United. I'm hoping that that's the start of something magical because it's not about money. It's about, you know, obviously when we all got together, we were all, we had like 80 people on a Zoom. And it was like, wow, look at this, what the power that's here, right? We could probably raise a lot of money. And I, I cut the money off the table right now. Like, you know what? I want to make a statement that's not about asking for money because that if good things happen, money will come. We can do that next year. But right now, let's make a statement that we're all standing together, standing tall, making a, state, a, a statement about what this day could mean for the rest of our lives. You know, maybe Black Friday should be called, you know, Breast Cancer United Friday forever moving forward. So how can we do that and, and show the world that as an ecosystem, as a sisterhood, even though there are a lot of men in it, we're all together working towards a common goal of eradicating Black breast cancer. And so that's my goal. For the, that's my two kind of things I'm working on for the next year. We'll see how far I get. I, I have no doubt. I'm not worried about your success in one in in in, in any way, shape, or form. You're going to be. This is going to happen. What do you think our listeners could do to help you? Sign up on our web. You know, it's for our newsletter. Just go to our website. Sign up for our newsletter, and you'll get all of our information. Follow us on social media. Um, watch our show. Watch the Doctor is in. Um, like we want you want business on your podcast, and um, tell us your stories. Share your stories. Give us more content to talk about. You know, we all have a story and a lot of them are similar, but they're all have, you know, we all have a different story. Share that our stories are what are going to make the difference. And when, and it's so funny when we go to pharma, they want to hear our stories. Let's share our stories. So sh- tell me your story. Send me an email. Ricky at touchbbca.org. Send me an email. Tell me your story. So I can, we can build this, this almost this like, um, what do you call the pictures where there's all the pieces all together, right? Um, mosaic. A mosaic, exactly. Let's build a mosaic of stories that we can then make bigger and bigger and bigger and share it with the world because that's what's going to help our sisters. I also feel like, you know, I'm not metastatic. I'm blessed. So I can fight harder than my metastatic sisters. I can, you know, I'm not going to get tired as, as quickly as, as they're going to get tired, as you're going to get tired. So I owe it to you to do this work. I don't know how to do it any differently. And so I feel like you can only die of metastatic breast cancer. I'm, I'm not dying right now. So I have plenty of energy and, and passion to do this work. And I have to do it for my sisters. I don't want my precious grandbabies to ever speak the words breast cancer. 
they're one and three and I have another one on the way. So I have to do this work for them and for you and, and for all of us and for our community. So I want us to come together. I want us to be united. I want us to be a force to be reckoned with. Well, I have no doubt that you, you already are actually. Mm -hmm. So you talked a little bit about researchers coming to you and saying, we want to, we need some people for COVID trials and so forth. Yeah. So we're living in this pandemic. It's a time right. of racial justice reckoning in this country, long overdue. Yeah. Uh, there's an economic disaster around, and it's it's just the most difficult time for everyone. And and COVID has been incredibly devastating to the Black community, of course, as well. Yes. So all of this is really hard on everyone's mental health, right? Right. Right. So what do you do to take care of yourself? What do you do for your mental health? Well, you know, I live at the beach. So to be quarantined at the beach is not a bad thing. You know what I mean? I paddleboard a lot every, every morning that I can. I'm on the water. I'm, I'm watching the sunrise on the, on the beach. So that's my piece. And I had to learn after being sick that my peace is non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable. I will find peace every day. I have a dance party every day, you know, pandemic or not. But I, but I also think I've tried to find ways to connect because that's what I miss the most. I'm a hugger. I want people around me. I want people in my house. And I miss that a lot. But I do it either virtually or people come and stand, stand you know, on the ground in my driveway I'm on my balcony or some, have some kind of connection. So just trying to stay connected to people you know, and, and do we have to do, but you know, a year ago, had I started a, had I started a web series, had you started a podcast, a few listeners, but I have 30,000. So the, the one thing the pandemic has done, is given us a bigger platform. If you think about all the breast cancer conferences we've all gone to, there's a hundred people, 300 people, but you know, you know what it's like, maybe SABCS, we got 14,000, but but now we're like reaching so many people because they're tired of Netflix or, or they just want to have another way to talk about something. Right. Right. So, so I feel like that's a bless one of the blessings from COVID that we wouldn't have had before. It's just this opportunity to reach more people that we didn't have before. So I'm trying to take advantage of that and talk to more people that way as much as I can. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I think we're going to be living like this for a while and think about it. You know, you're on, you know, when you're taking meds and you know, they, what does the doctor tell you? Stay away from people. Don't hug anyone. Wash your hands a lot and wear a mask, you know, and we'll say, and you won't die. So it's not that hard for us. I feel like it's harder for people who haven't been sick before and haven't been, had to be germaphobes like we are, you know, mm. right. Mm. It's harder on us. So I think we're sort of, okay, I can do that to not die, you know, and, and, um, and yeah. I'm very, I've been very much in my house. You know, I, right. you know, I, I walk a lot. I walk my dog and I've told everybody that's sad, get it. You see God all around you and you see miracles all around you. Mm. you know, a rose is a miracle. Mm. So it helps you, you know, you can be a miracle too. I'm a miracle. And mm. so go look at miracles all around you and make yourself feel better. Mm. Yeah. You just have to open your eyes, open your eyes, open your eyes, open your nose, smell the flowers, you know, right, look sure. at the clouds. It's funny because um, yeah, I have this thing with my boyfriend where like, I'll be like laying on the beach, which I'm always on the beach, even as it gets cold, looking at the clouds, like trying to figure shapes in the clouds. Oh, that looks like Humpty Dumpty or that one. Looks, and he's like, what are you seeing? Like you are like, you think I'm crazy, but, but like I totally should lay on the for, for two hours and say, Hmm, that looks like, a bird flying over the moon or like, you know. but like look at the clouds they're beautiful mm, i love take that. it all in take it all in mm. take it all in it's all here for you god is yeah. all around us take it all in and breathe and breathe and just breathe breathe mm. in, breathe in your peace yeah you nature know? is a great 
healer. That is for sure. I, I couldn't agree more. Well, I'd like to think that the work that you're doing is moving us along that path just a little bit faster. So I, I can't so. thank you enough, Ricky. You've thank been you so a much. delight and so generous with your time. And we'll be watching and come back to the pod anytime. Thank you. Thank you so All much. Right. This podcast is produced by me, Lisa Laudico, and our truly collaborative and expanding team of Jersey Baker, Pam Detterer, Natalia Green, Victoria Goldberg, Kirby Lewis, Sheila McGlone, Shante Randall, and Anne Woodward. Our executive producer is Christine Benjamin, Senior Director of Patient Services and Education at Share Cancer Support. Interning with us are Angelica Alberstadt, Elena Golub, and Amy Tedeschi. To Jake Amarelli for his social media consulting, and you can find more episodes of our NBC Life wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and look for a new episode every Monday and submit your Just Gotta Share moments. Check out our blog and full episode notes on our website at rnbclife.org. We would love to hear from you.